0: climate change is scary. (laughs) I think that's the biggest thing that scares me, but like, um, you know, we could just like mess it up forever and (laughs) we'll never be okay again. Um, But, you know, the more self-sufficient I am, I just like feel better about myself and my impact on the world and Um, I'm not necessarily working towards being completely self-sufficient, but it's appealing.
1: (laughs) Welcome to Before It's Gone, the podcast where we talk about things that we might lose to climate change. Today's topic is self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency is something that we're going to need more and more in a climate-changed world. I'm pretty much an apocalyptic thinker and I worry about the day when I will have to fend for myself, make a fire, make my food, clean my clothes, without the benefits of electricity and modern technology. Yeah, it probably won't happen, but I'm afraid, and I'm completely ill-prepared. Self-sufficiency skills are already long gone for most people, but not for Melody Figg. She runs Revival Homestead Supply in Western Massachusetts. She came on the show to teach me how to make soap and to talk about her philosophy towards self-sufficiency.
0: What I'm doing today is called cold process soap making. Um, there's also a hot process, which is what you might imagine like pioneer women doing over a cauldron, <laughs> um, stirring their soap all day. So I'm going to add the lye to the water, and it will immediately get extremely hot because of the magic of science. <laughs> All right. So that should be at about 160 degrees right now.
1: So I grew up on a farm, and while nobody in my family actually made soap, Everybody was doing farm things. They were gardening and canning, mending, repairing, and I really actively avoided learning any of those things. I wanted to be a modern person, get my things from the store, from the supermarket, go off and live in a city. So I was really curious to know how Melody started making soap. I asked if she'd grown up making stuff like this
0: my parents were definitely like alternative. Um, they were both hippies, and um, which was like not, you know, they were kind of the odd ducks in our town. Our town was, I grew up in suburban New Jersey. Um, and, you know, it's like a very wealthy town with a lot of Republicans. It's the town that Chris Christie's from. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I definitely got the sort of like, passion for the alternative from them.
1: But she didn't always dream of this homesteading lifestyle. At one time, she'd gone off to live in the city, just like I had.
0: My mom was a seamstress, so she taught me how to sew. And that's where I started. And um, I decided I wanted to be a fashion designer. And um, I went to school in New York City and studied fashion design at Pratt Institute for a year and a half before I was like, oh, the fashion industry is a horrible place. Um, I couldn't possibly make it, I'm too nice.
1: <laughs> From there, it was a winding road to making soap.
0: I did some woofing, um, and in the meantime, I also, you know, I learned how to knit. I taught myself how to knit and started, I did a lot of cooking and it was, um, you know, growing, growing vegetables on my balcony in New York City and getting like one tomato season. <laughs> and then eventually, I um, I met my husband who lives in in Northampton, and I'd already kind of wanted to move to Northampton because I went to summer camp in the Berkshires and thought it was the coolest place. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I moved here and we. Finally had some land and we had a big garden and got some chickens and whole oh, thing.
1: The idea for the homesteading store came from her experience working in knitting shops.
0: I used to work in um, a series of knitting stores before I did this. and um, I just thought that um, it was so cool to have that space where like, not only can you go and buy your yarn, but you can also, like, if you made a mistake and you can't figure it out, you can go and like ask for knitting help. And you have, you know, like picking out yarn to make a sweater is like kind of hard, getting the right, you know, like thickness of yarn, getting the right amount of yarn. And, and I think it's the same with a lot of the stuff that we do that, you know, not everyone off the street knows exactly what to buy to like make their own soap. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really nice to have um, a real live human to ask your questions to.
1: (laughs) Western Massachusetts is the perfect place for this.
0: This region of the country um, is really like, the seed is already there. And um, so a lot of people come in who've like never eaten fermented foods, but they're like, hey, I heard that fermented foods are good for you. <laughs> I'd like to try it. <laughs> um, so, um, I think we sort of mesh with this community here.
1: Looking at the food she ate was also how Melody got started with this lifestyle.
0: I read the omnivores dilemma and like it blew my mind. <laughs> Um, and then I, you know, started just like reading tons of books about, um, our food system and, um, you know, the ways in which it's messed up and, um, and at that time I was actually, I was a vegetarian, I was raised vegetarian, and, um, then I started thinking about like, you know, how... As a vegetarian, like eating vegetarian products, you end up eating like all this like weird stuff that comes from who knows where as opposed to like eating local meat. And so that's what inspired me to like try meat for the first time when I was 23 years old. (laughs) And here I am making soap out of pig's lard.
1: Yeah, pig's lard. That's what the nice natural soap is made of.
0: Any animal fat can be made into soap, and um, it's very inexpensive. Most people, you know, any farmer that raises animals or butcher um, is gonna have a lot of fat that they can't sell. Um, You do have to render it.
1: (laughs) I'm glad that I missed this part of the soap making process.
0: When you render it, you put it in a crock pot, you like grind it up into small bits and put it in a crock pot and then just melt it for a couple days, <laughs> pouring off the, the excess fat um, until you have nothing left but little bits of meat and stuff. <laughs> Doesn't make the house smell terribly good, but it's, <laughs> it's thrifty. And it uses something that otherwise often gets just thrown away. Yeah, so we're gonna melt the fat and uh, we're letting the lye cool and we want them, when we mix them, they should be approximately the same temperature, around 100 to 120 degrees. So, we're going to pour our lye water into the fat. And it pretty much immediately turns whitish, where before it was kind of translucent.
1: Self-sufficiency is something that I approach out of necessity. I still want to live in the modern world and take advantage of its conveniences. But I recognize that there are some skills that would be really helpful to have if those conveniences aren't always available. In other words, I want to be prepared if a big apocalyptic type event comes. I asked Melody, if she thinks the same way.
0: Um, I definitely, I'm not an apocalyptic thinker, for sure. Although there was, you know, right like in the sort of nether time between um, leaving New York and moving here I um, was when Hurricane Sandy hit and I I never really thought about it much before. The fact that like You know, there were all of these people who were like freezing in their apartments because they had like no way to produce their own heat. And that I have thought that's like so crazy that like all of these people are like completely reliant on the system (laughs) to live.
1: But even if you don't want to be completely reliant on the system, it's impossible to be completely reliant on yourself. Like the
0: idea of like really being totally self-sufficient is really out there for most people <laughs> and seems crazy, um, but I think, you know, sort of introducing it in little chunks um, like growing your own food or, um, or just like having a vegetable garden, <laughs> not necessarily growing all your own food um, and making your own soap, etc. Um, you know, that you get people like taking little steps toward it without necessarily Uh, being, you know, people who are,
1: like, building a bomb shelter. (laughs) Homesteaders and survivalists really do have a lot in common. We're doing a lot of the same things.
0: (laughs) Yeah, just sort of different ideals or, like, different goals. Different Different motivation, yeah.
1: (laughs) So what are Melody's motivations?
0: At least for me, it's you know it sort of started with just this like immense satisfaction I get out of like making something and being able to you know like look I made this <laughs> and and everyone's like totally impressed because no one makes soap anymore. <laughs> um, like I remember once I'm when I was Maybe twenty. I brought my homemade cheese to a dinner party, and everyone was like, <laughs> "Like what? You can make cheese? That's crazy!" <laughs> um, so that definitely sort of fueled me in the beginning, um, and and now, you know, I, for me, it's just a way of life now.
1: With the store, she's able to share that way of life.
0: Here, I'm sort of passing that on to other people to encourage them to sort of change their habits and, um, you know, look at consumption and capitalism in a different way and, you know, try to support yourself with um, locally sourced food and soap and everything and, um, yeah, trying to create like a local economy that can support itself. and. Feeding the beast, <laughs> capitalism and corporations, etc.,
1: cetera, etc. Cetera. <laughs> of course, just by having a store and trying to keep it profitable, she ends up feeding the beast. We recently started um,
0: wholesaling some of our project kits. Um, so at the moment, we have a lip balm making kit and a candle making kit. And you know, as like as an artist. I, really enjoyed like designing the packaging and but then there's like a part of me that's like you know when I'm putting together like 24 kits to send to a store it's just like so much packaging (laughs) that like the consumer is just gonna throw away but that's what sells it they're not gonna buy it if it's not in a pretty box and yeah sort of coming to terms with that sort of like you know, I'm creating all this waste that people are going to throw away, but like, I need to do it if I want to sell anything.
1: Even making homemade soap involves using disposable freezer paper to line the molds.
0: <laughs> it's like with <laughs> with every little thing, there's like something wasteful, and um, yeah, it's hard to. It's hard to get away from waste and everything. It's, which
1: is frustrating. <laughs> Where we live, deep blue Massachusetts makes it easier. Yeah,
0: it's a, it's a weird world we live in. <laughs> and definitely, I mean, you know, the Pioneer Valley is, is definitely like a bubble. And there's so many people who like get what we're doing and are into it. And then like every time I I leave our bubble, there's like, you know, this sinking feeling of like, oh God, this world is, all these people are, what are they doing? (laughs) They're destroying everything.
1: (laughs) But even here, people hold on to some wasteful habits. You know, I was really shocked to find out that
0: like even here, um, like I only know maybe one or two other parents using cloth diapers, which really surprised, like I thought that was like fairly common around here. And disposable diapers are like really horrible. <laughs> they're, they're Just like the amount of waste, even just from one child is like huge. Yeah, it's yeah, huge.
1: Literally. Despite everything, Melody says she feels hopeful. Like so many other things in her life, it's something that she makes for herself? I feel hopeful.
0: Um, I mean, obviously, you know, with the election, it's like a little depressing. <laughs> um, I think because like in my, in my own small way, I'm like working towards a better future um, and like that makes me feel hopeful uh, it's it's really easy to get bogged down in like fear and of the future when you like look at what everyone else is doing. <laughs> um, but you know, as long as I'm working towards my own better future for my family and the people around me, um, you know, there's a way to feel hopeful.
1: Before it's gone is listener supported and supporters get access to cool things like the full interviews on video with our guests. A lot of things get left out during editing and they're really interesting. You can hear them. If you become a supporter of the show, just visit before it's gone. Dot show and click on the donate button. Thank you. And if you like the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Thanks again.